To mark her 94th birthday, we're re-releasing our Generation Games drama, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. If you've not heard this, the first in a special series of monologues and duologues exploring friendships, relationships and connections across the ages, now's your chance. Plus this time, we've a bonus interview with the writer Richard Vergette, who wrote the piece specifically for June. Keep listening for that after the show. And don't forget, our most popular Distinct Nostalgia conversation remains at home with June Brown, which you can still hear by scrolling through our programmes. Distinct drama. Fresh and original. Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues uniting the ages. Missing You by Richard Vergette. Starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. beat the coronavirus and we will beat it together and therefore I urge you at this moment of national emergency to stay at home protect our NHS and save this is the time he'd bring me a cup of tea and something from the bakers maids of honour are my favourite he likes something a bit more squishy vanilla slice usually He calls in on his way back from the allotment and whatever's in season, he'll bring me some of that. Something healthy from the allotment and a bit of a treat from the bakers. There was only ever really me and him. I mean, obviously there was someone else originally, not a relationship, more of a collision. Even if they'd had those tests back then, I wouldn't have had one. Why would I? I didn't even think about it. It's a boy. But the nurses looked worried. They took him away. He screamed and they whispered, doctors coming and going, prodding him, looking at his fingers and his toes. What's the matter, I thought? There's ten of each, isn't there? I said, can't I just hold him? But then the matron came in. Some people wear a uniform. She was the uniform. She tried to smile. It didn't suit her. Sorry, dearie, but he's not normal. I said, what do you mean he's not normal? And then she told me. She said, we'll deal with it. Leave the baby with us and we'll look after it. Get yourself home, tell your family that he died in childbirth. You'll have better luck next time, I'm sure. I said to her, better luck? It's not a blooming game of bingo. You bring him here now, I'm going to look after him, not you. Her smile faded. She looked a lot better. In that case, she said, take your broken doll home. His father was no help. Didn't even come to the hospital to bring us home. Used to have left him with them. It's no world to bring up damaged goods like him. And he went. Like they do. Damaged goods, a broken doll, one day old, and they were calling him names. And there he lay, little thing. Perfect he was, perfect. So there was just me and him, William. Me and William against the world. 
he had ever such a gentle cry, not piercing or harsh. It was quite, I suppose, it was quite musical in a sort of way. I would sing to him, and it was as if he was singing back. It wasn't all plain sailing, but I don't think it was any harder than if he'd been, well, what that awful matron called normal. Normal? What's that even mean? Was she normal? Am I? Was my mother. She once sawed the legs off an armchair so her sausage dog could jump into it. I don't call that normal. Yes, we'd be having tea now. I miss hearing the door open. He bursts in, makes me jump. I'm here, he shouts. I'm here. A few weeks after he was born, I was pushing him in the pram in the local park. A group of girls were coming home from school. They came up to the pram and started cooing and saying the usual things people do around a new baby. They wanted to know his name, how old he was, how much he weighed when he was born. They were lovely girls, all gossip and chewing gum, and then they scampered off talking about boys and what not. And after they'd gone, I wondered if he'd ever have friends like that, if he'd ever run across a park and chew gum and kick a ball around and break a heart or two, apart from mine. He did have a couple of friends, there was Brian, nice boy, used to come round and play snakes and ladders with him. Nice family, respectable. His dad worked in an office or something and I used to see his mother in fine fare. She always spoke. Lovely manners. And then there was Donald. He had the palsy thing. He was all right mentally, but you know, he had problems with his walking. His mum used to come round with him and we'd have a gossip, and they'd play with some toy soldiers of Donald's. Donald would shout the orders very loudly sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what battle they were reenacting, but it sounded fierce. He didn't make old bones, though, did Donald. I'm not sure what happened to his mother. You see, in those days, the schools didn't really take them, not like they do now. It's marvellous what happens with them now. They have so many chances, more than they did. <laughs> My sister Gracie annoyed me. She was always saying, it's such a shame, isn't it? It's so very sad, bless him. Always bless him. She did more blessing than John the Baptist. I said to her, why is it a shame? And she said, well, it's not as if he's ever going to be a brain surgeon, is it? I said, you're not a brain surgeon either, Gracie, and if you were, I wouldn't fancy being under your knife. You know what I mean, she said. He's never going to be a success, is he? I said, no, and he's never going to be a cat burglar or a drug smuggler either. Honestly, my sister, not a success. She had a sweet stall in the market and got fat on the coconut mushrooms. That was her idea of success. I ought to eat something now. I've got a few things in. I had a leaflet through the door with a lot of phone numbers in case I need help. It's somewhere on the mantelpiece. I don't like to bother anyone. Well, you don't, do you? When he was ten, 
I met someone, Charlie. And not on a date or anything like that. Charlie moved in opposite. He knocked on the door to find out what day the bins were being emptied. Well, that was his excuse. He was a lorry driver, a widower, a bit older than me. When he met William, he wasn't shocked. He smiled very politely and said, How do you do, William? Now, William was always shy, but not this time. He stuck out his hand, at bold as brass, he said, How do you do, Charlie? Well, that broke the ice. I'm not sure Charlie expected such confidence. I'm not sure I did. Charlie made an effort with him. He took him to a football match once. Oh, I was so worried. I'd never let anyone take William anywhere. But Charlie had one of those faces you can trust. I sat by the window all afternoon waiting for him to come back. I don't think William enjoyed it much. He didn't say anything, really. Charlie asked me if he could take him again, but I said no. He was a kind man, but you can't be too careful. He used to come round for his Sunday dinner. I would always bring something for William, a little toy, a bar of chocolate, you know. I think he missed having children of his own. I went out with Charlie a few times. Grace's daughter Denise would babysit. We wouldn't go far, just in case. And he was lovely. Not handsome, but who minds that? His nose had been broken. But I didn't ask. Well, you don't, do you? He was... What's the word? Chivalrous. Yes, that's it. He always opened the car door for me. He wore a tie when we went out and never drank if he was driving us home. And I could have loved him. I really could. And he loved me. He told me. He stopped the car on the way home from Love Story at the Hippodrome. I love you, Margie, he said. I think you should know. I said, that's really nice of you, Charlie. I do appreciate it, but no, he said. Don't say any more. I understand. And we drove on in silence. I didn't see so much of him after that, and then he met another lady, so they tell me. He moved away. But he didn't understand, though. And I'm not sure I did, to be honest. You see, when I looked at William in my arms all those years ago after the matron had left the room, I knew what my life was for. People were going to be against him, so I was going to be for him. Always. William was cross with me. He loved Charlie, too. But it was the right thing to do. And here's what's surprising... William was bright, really. I would read to him. He loved being read to. He'd look at me with those beady eyes, and it didn't matter what I read. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? And then he learned to read himself. To begin with, he copied me, word for word, line by line, I'd read the first line of a story very slowly. Once upon a time, 
there was a little girl called Sophie and he would repeat it one bit at a time and then we started on another story and another and then I bought him a new one and he started by himself and he recognised some of the words once upon a time there were three Billy Goats someone had once called him Billy I didn't like it but he did so he learned to write it and then he recognised the page he could read you could understood how I felt I thought I'd tell his father I hadn't spoken to him for years let him know what he was missing but he just said better put his name down for Oxbridge then and the phone went dead I had to watch him because you know being as he is he's naive he used to go to a day centre I was happy for that but he got a bit thick with one of the girls there she was like him you know he asked if he'd bring her back here I didn't think it would be right I didn't want to encourage him or her I mean you can't be sure what it might lead to you see everything was lovely when it was me and him just the two of us we got through his teenage years and he stopped this thing with a girl thank heaven I had a little cleaning job in the morning and he would do his allotment in the afternoon he would read me the paper well bits of it and we'd do a puzzle like word search or something I know it sounds a dull old life but it suited us nice and simple no point in putting him under pressure oh did you hear that oh the lady over the road can't sit in her garden anymore she's sensitive to noise why do they have to make cars sound like they're built with a racetrack nowadays it's for the youngsters I suppose Charlie always said a car engine should purr not screech like a blooming banshee oh those motorbikes are even worse oh lucky William hasn't got a license he's well you know how he is he'd be round the corner up the hill look at me mum he'd shout look at me pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. A few years ago, he suddenly announced he was moving out. Uh, where, may I ask? Supported living, he came back at me. I support you, I said. Anyway, he'd looked into it by himself. I couldn't believe it. He'd been so secretive. We never had secrets. Found out that he could have his own place. I talked to my social worker, he said. Have I done something wrong? I asked him. He just said, It's time, Mum. That's all he said. It's time, Mum. Of course, I found out that that girl from the day centre was involved. I can't say I was thrilled. It's a nice place. He's got his own room. He's even got his own bathroom and a garden. So, you know... He does all right. I remembered the girls in the park. 
and what I'd wished for that day. And I tried. I tried to be happy for him. I am. I am happy for him. I miss him. Of course he comes to see me every day. He did until what they call it, lock up, lock down. We'd be having a cup of tea at this time of day. I think I told you that. And I think he misses me. Well, I know he does. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying to oh, yeah, I'm trying yeah. I'm trying I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go you feel me? We gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit. Down syndrome, they won't have a save of words. They think I'll hurt her to say it, or it hurt me. They just won't say it. I told her I'm at Jenny at the day centre. I didn't tell her straight away, it took me a month. No, two months. Mum, I've met someone. They frowned hard. Who? they asked. I said, a very nice girl. They frowned even harder. The room went cold. The sky darkened. There was a crash of thunder. Okay, it wasn't a crash of thunder. It was the sound of her chopping a teacup. Does this nice girl have a name? Tiani? Tiani? Mum? What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. I hope so, I said. Mum is a strong woman. A lioness with a cub. But I wasn't a cub anymore. And then we got a big question. Is she? Is she? Come on, Mum, you can say it. Is he like you? There's Down syndrome. Yes, Mum. I won't see the same words. I like her, I said. And then, silence. She didn't speak for hours. It felt like hours. It was actually 20 minutes. I was 18. But she was making me feel like ten. We both sit there, pretending to have countdown. I hate countdown. What's so special about this Tiani? I think Tiani's a lovely name. Mum makes it sound like a swear word. She likes me, Mum. 
that's what's special. Until Jenny arrived, the day centre was a bit boring to be honest. Unless you like doing easy jigsaw puzzles or listening to local radio or playing snooker on a table that's too small and it balls are missing. But it got me out of the house. One day, a lady came to the centre to teach us how to make corn dollies. Why would I want a corn dolly? Why would anyone want a corn dolly? I got the giggles. So did someone else. It was Jenny. I caught the eye. The giggles got louder. The lady asked us to stop. We tried. We really tried. We failed. We were asked to leave. So Jenny and I left the room for five minutes. We just laughed. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I don't need protecting from love. I told Mum, Jenny I stopped coming to the day centre. I told her I wasn't seeing her anymore. I lied. Mum is a good woman, and very kind, but it's a thing she isn't. When I was a kid, she tried to find a friend for me. I didn't want her to. I wanted to be allowed to find them myself. But he knew best. There was Brian. He would bring war games, loosely snakes and ladders. He'd go into my room. He'd help me out of play. He was very kind, but very quiet. And he always won. I often wondered how he managed that. And there was Donald. He had several wall palsy. He wasn't quiet at all. He played with his toy soldiers. He would sell orders. I didn't understand. And then got cross. Really cross. I think mum looked for people who make friends with me because they were desperate. Jenny wasn't desperate by the way. Jenny liked me as much as I liked her. I once asked her why. She shrugged and said... Don't ask awkward questions. Just be happy. That's good advice, I reckon. But then, I didn't make a real friend. Charlie, he was mum's friend first. But he became my friend too. He shook my hand. I remember that most adults back then patted my head like I was a dog. Charlie shook my hand. That felt good. He took me to a football match. I never seen so many people. A big and noisy crowd. I was too excited, he was scared. We cheered. He bought chips and drank pop. And we drove home. He sang in a car. United till I die. United till I die. It was the best day ever. Mum was waiting. Where have you been? She asked. Charlie laughed. We were wearing United scarves, United hats, and going football programs. And she asked us where we'd been. Two ages ago, Charlie said, that made me laugh too. It's not a joke, said Mum. I've had been 
We need more laughs in our house. I was sad when Charlie left. Mum said it was for the best. How was it for the best if I feel so sad? I don't want you to think I don't love Mum. I do. Very much, but I need more than just Mum. I think everyone does. But you probably must that Mum didn't need more than me. When I first went to the day centre, I didn't make new friends straight away. I preferred to sit quietly and read. But many of was shocked I could read. Who taught you? He asked. My mum, I said. Who taught you? He said, my mum. Small world, I said. And then, Jenny arrived and everything changed. Her life was different. Her mum and dad always taken out to museums, theatres, galleries to stimulate her. They said, she told me once she got sick of being stimulated. Sometimes she well, was at home and mopped telly. We joked. We like to stop lives for a while. Mum never asked to meet Jenny. I think she was jealous. I knew she was jealous. So, for a long time, I pretended not to see her anymore. I didn't want to be a lawyer. But what can you do? Something useful I did learn at the day centre was gardening. Gianni made me put the books down and go outside of her. There's something about growing things and got bigger and stronger because of you, knowing you've done something useful. So, the day centre become a really good place after all. After a while, Gianni and me started to work out how we could live together. She's braver than me. When I say the work, I told us it couldn't happen. I said, okay. But then he said, not okay. If I hadn't been with her, it would never have happened. You see, I don't love Jenny because she's like me, as Mum would say. I love her because she's very different from me. Isn't that actually our own place? It's what's called supported living but it's all right it does very nicely in fact if anything was mum didn't seem that surprised when i told her they asked a few questions and then asked if she'd done anything wrong how could she think that of course you haven't mum i said to her but it's time mum it's time she went very quiet and then smiled and nodded I waited for Sky to darken, like I had before, but it didn't. It was like she knew it would happen. It was like she could see I'd grown up. I'll miss you, she said. I'll miss you too, Mum, I told her. She came to visit us. Not very often, but she did. And I would visit her, sometimes with Jenny, but mostly on my own, I'll take her a cake for tea. I don't like cake, the much to be honest. But you've got to be polite, haven't you? And we've lived like this for many years, very happily too. But then, 
this happened before he was. So, I can't visit her anymore. She can't visit us. I talked to her on the phone, but I'm not sure she understands. It's my turn to worry about her now. I do miss her more than a fault. I hope she knows that. I really hope she knows that. Missing You was written by Richard Vergette and starred June Brown and Sam Barnard. The producers were Ashley Byrne, Ian McNess and James Brown. The Generation Games monologues and duologues are MIM productions for distinct nostalgia. More than a podcast. So this is Ashley Byrne and I'm joined by uh, Richard Vergette, who's the writer of missing you richard thank you very much indeed uh, uh, for joining us now let's talk a little bit about uh, missing you when we first had the idea at distinct nostalgia of doing this series of monologues duologues around connecting uh, people from the different generations exploring relationships connections um, and friendships from different generations. Uh, you were one of the first writers uh, that I came to, and we had a discussion about this. And the story here is perfect, really, in terms of the generational side of things. But, of course, Missing You is drawn from your own personal experiences, isn't it? That's right. I mean, uh, we have a son, Thomas, who has Down syndrome and uh, autism. He lives in residential care a few miles away. Uh, ordinarily, he comes home every other weekend. Uh, but obviously, during this period of lockdown, um, during the first period of lockdown and during the present period of lockdown, we don't see him. Um, we might have a Skype call with him every now and then. But as he doesn't have an awful lot of conversation, that's quite difficult. Uh, and I got to thinking about various people who, because of the circumstances, weren't able to to see their loved ones. And I think for somebody who's elderly, um, somebody who's vulnerable, it's very, very difficult, particularly. And I think it's very difficult to get your head around sort of the reasons why. A number of friends who had elderly relatives in care homes. Sometimes it was very difficult for those elderly relatives to understand why they couldn't see their their families. So um, it, it was inspired by um, by that, by by personal circumstances. And this storyline just began to emerge, really. But what you do with it, it is you use it in a way, because of their isolation, to for them as characters to examine their relationship with each other and in turn to examine, I suppose, um, the history, in a way, of um, the relationship between parents and their Down syndrome uh, children over many years and how things... You know, things are different to an extent now, but when, you know, June's character, Margie, was having her child back in whenever it would be, I don't know, the 50s or 60s or whatever, things were very different. And uh, June conveys that very, very well. And and, um, tell us a bit about that, but also why you thought June would be, you know, right for this role. Well, um, Sometimes when you write, um, you, you, you get an idea 
you have an actor's voice in your head. And I knew that you'd spoken to June. I knew that you'd interviewed her and that you knew her. And possibly because of that, uh, I, I had her voice in my head when I was creating the character of Margie. And uh, the, she she is an extraordinary uh, actor, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously she's known as, as, as Doc Cotton uh, by by the nation, by by the world, probably. And what she, I think, is able to do with, without overplaying or without making anything overly sentimental is that she convey she can convey joy and pain, and she can do it with a small inflection of her voice. And I, I think she's, I think she's extraordinary. I think she's, I think she's one of our greatest actresses. I really do. And um, so I had her voice in my head, and th- that she kind of. Uh, her character of Margie um, has a child with Down syndrome at a time when uh, the advice to parents was to leave the child behind, um, let uh, let the hospital take care of it, and go home, tell your family that the baby died, and uh, and have better luck next time. And I was told a story. Um, many many years ago, um, by um, uh, by a professor of um, special educational needs who I worked with in the early nineties, guy called Brian Stratford. Um, I was told a story of uh, of his friend, uh, Brian Ricks. Brian Ricks and his wife Elspeth Gray had a had a daughter um, uh, with Down syndrome uh, called Shelley, and uh, when Shelley was born that was the advice that they received. And, of course, they were absolutely indignant and said, no, uh, they were going to take their child home. They were going to bring it up and and, and they wouldn't leave it behind and pretend that it had died or, or, or anything horrific like that. Whereupon the matron told them to take their broken doll home. And it was a story that, that uh, I mean, it horrified me at the time. And I, I heard that story before we had Thomas. So it's actually purely coincidental that I that I'd made a study of special educational needs. I'd done a master's degree in it, um, and then six years later, uh, Thomas was born. So that, that was you know purely coincidental. Um, and I, so I remembered this story when I was creating the character of of, of Margie. And you're absolutely right. What what the what the play does or tries to do is to give each character an opportunity to reflect on their relationship um, because. The relationship is not plain sailing, as the story tells. You know, there is tension there. Because, of course, although Margie is fiercely protective, there comes a time um, when William, her son, played brilliantly by Sam Barnard, kind of doesn't need protecting anymore, or at least not in, in, in that way. Um, and he needs to to find his independence and, and, and freedom. And I think that... that you know, one of the things that um, that preoccupies parents uh, uh, and indeed people with Down syndrome is that um, that they that their expectations of the world, their expectations of their lives, are just as aspirational as uh, as anybody else. You know, they want things for themselves that anybody else wants for themselves, and so it is with William. William wants a life, and he wants a life away from his mother. 
but he still wants his mother to be there. And and there is a tension there um, because she doesn't want to let him go. And she is instinctively jealous and suspicious of anybody else who comes into his life. And she makes enormous sacrifices and he almost doesn't want her to. So, so hopefully, you know, we get an insight into what both characters want. Now, you're talking historically about what it used to be like, but we know full well that these tensions still exist, don't they, to an extent? People who have children with Down syndrome now are still going through these stresses and strains. They're still have, they still have pressure put on them. It might not be by the medical profession, but it might be by outsiders, people in society, etc., you know, things have moved on to a degree, but they haven't moved on completely, have they? That's right. And I and I think, you know, you've only got to look at the statistics of the current pandemic, of the amount of people with disability, particularly with learning disability, who are affected and who constitute a huge percentage of the, of the death rate. Uh, it's a statistic that isn't sort of particularly talked about. Um, and I and I worry that the platform for disabled and particularly learning disabled is 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 getting less and getting less vocal. We live now in a time of non-invasive prenatal testing, which enables people to have a safe test to find out if there is any chromosomal abnormality. That is to say, if their child has Down syndrome and when they do make that discovery, we know that 98 percent of uh, of children with Down syndrome are those pregnancies are terminated, and it's something that I'm preoccupied by in the in in, in the next piece that I'm I'm writing. So it's a different kind of pressure, actually. It's a different kind of prejudice, if you will. Um, the presumption that a life that is somehow different, a life that might be uh, in some way, though not totally. Uh, characterised by a disability, Uh, that somehow lesser, fewer expectations are made of a life like that. Presumptions are made as to the value of a life like that. And and that's deeply problematic and and, and I think profoundly wrong. So yeah, the, 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 the pressures are different. I mean, we were dealt with I would say very compassionately when Thomas was born because we didn't know we had we had no idea but um you've only got to see the furore of the recent story in Emmerdale and the um and the and and the strong feelings that have emerged from that and I'm not being overly critical of the writers of that storyline I think you know sometimes uh, drama does show people making um wrong choices or or or, or uninformed choices uh, if drama was only about people making the right choices, well, there wouldn't be much drama, you know. <laughs> Just um, it, it, it would all be terribly serene, no conflict, and therefore no drama. So, so I don't, you know, condemn uh, the, the the writers of Emmerdale for, for for doing what they did, but um, it, it would be great, I think, to see in drama more examples of where where characters with Down syndrome lead meaningful. And purposeful lives, because that is so very often the case. And we haven't got many characters uh, in television, and we've got little. We've got one, one actually in Coronation Street, and we um, one of the main characters in Coronation Street now is Down syndrome. But and I think we we have got one in EastEnders as well. Actually, thinking about it, um, so they do exist. But there needs to be more exploration, doesn't there, of them 
as people and as and, uh, as characters really because i think there's a tendency isn't there with lots of things it's you know it's the same when we first had gay characters on on tv and things you end up having a stereotype don't you and the thing is everybody with down syndrome is completely different aren't they that's right that's right there are far more differences between them than there are similarities i mean i i did some work uh, this time last year at cast theatre in doncaster i was working with three actors with down syndrome the only thing they had in common was down syndrome i mean they were they were vastly different characters uh, vastly different people um and i think that very often what you get in the presentation of characters with down syndrome is that they're they're, they're happy lovely jolly satisfied people they don't have any attitudes about anything you know they just smile winsomely and they're that nice little disabled character in the corner who 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 who's who is lovely and cuddly and 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 um you know they never they 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 never sort of cause problems because they they're, they're such jolly happy you know i mean you know the, the the kind of stereotype that i'm that i'm getting at and it's profoundly irritating and and yeah you're right i mean there, there, you know there is an actor in, in in coronation street but goodness me i wish he was given a storyline i wish he did something other than the than, than than serve up bacon butties from behind the desk. I wish you know. I I, I I wish he swore, or I wish he would do something like set fire to the cafe. I, I you know. I I I really like him to have a a, a great storyline, which at the moment he hasn't really had. Yeah, it's early days, but Sam's done very well on, on this drama, I and mean, I know that Sam Barnard has been in quite a few things actually. So this isn't the this is not his first outing, but I know that he was. Uh, very, very pleased to be uh, working alongside June Brown. It's a real highlight of his career so far, I think. And he, he did a really good job, didn't he? Absolutely. He, he as, as he said, uh, as he said, he, he let out a very loud "Ooh, I say" when he found out that he was going to be working with June. Uh, no, he's a, he's a great character. He's, he, no, he's he's got a pretty impressive CV. Has Sam? He worked with um, a great friend of mine and somebody I know you know, Martin Jameson, on. Um, on a five-part uh, series a couple of years ago now called First World Problems. And it was because I worked on as a script advisor on that, um, uh, on that series that I was, that that's how I got to know Sam. And, uh, and, you know, we've worked together on something else. And uh, so when I was writing this, I knew um, I didn't, I wasn't aware that he'd done a. I knew he'd done radio. I don't think he'd done a monologue. But but Sam is one of those guys. You know, you you chuck something at him. You chuck a challenge at him, and he, and he and he just sort of you know his responses will make it harder. Give me more. You know, he doesn't he doesn't uh, he doesn't shy away from it. He enjoys it. And we've had a great response so far, haven't we? We're we're re-releasing it today because it's uh, uh, June's ninety fourth birthday. And uh, we've had a fantastic response uh, to it so far, um, and you know, lots of people have enjoyed it, and um, which which is brilliant because um, you know, making stuff as you know, as a you know somebody who works in this sector, making stuff and being creative. Yes, we can be all creative during lockdown, but making it happen is actually quite hard, isn't it? Sometimes at the moment, it it, it is, and um, and I think you know it was it was a lovely thing to be able to kind of release and send to people on uh, you know send send people a link to on boxing day a sort of bit of a you know bit of a, a, a christmas present as it were and um yeah i've i've been really sort of overwhelmed by the um by the uh, response and uh people have said some lovely things about it and uh, people have found it moving and and funny so let's let's hope a few more people enjoy it now on the occasion of june's birthday yeah, and let's hope it, it you know it helps to raise 
some basic awareness of the situation of Down syndrome generally, uh, yeah. because it isn't really talked about that much. Having June involved, hopefully June will draw people in to be able to have a more of a, a proper conversation. Because it's because sometimes it does take a character like June Brown, somebody everyone respects and knows and all the rest of it, to help move things forward, doesn't it? That, I know it sounds stupid, but it does, doesn't it, sometimes? I mean, it does. I mean, it's it's an age old thing that you know. If you if you've got a uh, if you've got somebody famous, if you've got somebody who's who's a bit of a name attached to a project, then people will be more inclined to to to, to listen to it because they you know they trust the the talent of that particular performer, and uh, and and you know when I when I first heard the you know the the, the rushes of her of her doing it. Um, it was exactly as as I expected and wanted it to be. Uh, June doesn't know how to mistime a line. She couldn't mistime a line if she tried. Um, she, you know, and I think you told me that she'd learnt it. Um, you know, that I mean, w- w- extraordinary, extraordinary professional, and uh, she does it beautifully. And so does Sam, because Sam then has to follow with his monologue, and um, and I've been delighted at how people have responded to both, uh, both of them. Fantastic, thanks, Richard. Um, well, hopefully everyone's enjoyed it, and we look forward to some more in the future. I know you're working on a few more ideas, so a distinct nostalgia audience should, should stay tuned and watch this space. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you and I have had a conversation about some more ideas in in the future. Definitely, uh, we've got some fantastic actors who have said they they want to work with us. So yeah, I I can't write them fast enough. <laughs> Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And you can hear lots more programmes via the Distinct Nostalgia player. June Brown talks about the early days of EastEnders. I wouldn't like her for a neighbour, not in the old days, because she was a right old gossip and (laughs) and she was prejudiced a lot. But uh, they used her to get rid of prejudice, you know, particularly in the gay storyline with Michael Cashman. Henry Kelly is back and going for gold. In any quiz programme... You've got to concentrate on what the point is. And I have to watch my breathing. We learned how to control me, the contestants, and the computer. That was part of the gimmick of going for good. These programmes and many more are all available now at distinctnostalgia.com. Get in touch via the Contact Us page on the website. Bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.